Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad still in Nashville after Mississippi State's win last night. Rippey has made his way back to Oxford. He'll cover baseball this weekend as Ole Miss is done after a clunker in the second half last night against Alabama, losing for the Crimson, to the Crimson Tide for the second time this year. We've got baseball coming up. We've got basketball, big finishes at the SEC tournament, and a ton to get to with you. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank has been, well, they've been doing just that, financing land since, uh, well, let's see, 100-plus years. That takes you, what, back to about 1919, somewhere between 1915 and 1919. That's when they started financing land. They know what they are doing. Branch locations across North Mississippi. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Borky, happy Friday. Hey, happy Friday. Richard, you'd be proud of me. I've watched more basketball than I ever thought I could in the last couple of days. Well, if you weren't watching basketball, then you were watching, like, Young and the Restless reruns or something. Because it's kind of on every single channel you turn to, uh, at least every channel that has any kind of a, uh, a sports slant. Uh, and it's fun. I mean, th- this might be, at today, tomorrow, two of the most fun days of the year from a basketball standpoint. So for most everybody, it's quarterfinals for some team or some conferences. It's a, a semifinal Friday with the championship games coming up tomorrow. Yeah, you put that with Thursday and Friday next weekend. It's a heck of a fun weekend for uh, for college basketball all over the country. Hey, Dad, you saw a pretty good one last night. Mississippi State rolling over Texas A&M. Really wasn't much of a game at any point last night. What'd you think? I thought it was interesting that the the thing we talked about on the show yesterday. I said I I wanted to see State play better defensively. That's exactly what they went out and did. They held A&M, like I said, to 54 points. 37% shooting. Uh, they really had good energy, good effort. They looked like that team that we saw during the uh, five-game winning streak more than what they showed against Auburn and Tennessee in the last two of the last three games. So, yeah, that team, that's the team that can cause some trouble in March. And if we'll see if they can get that kind of effort again, especially from Lamar Peters. That's back-to-back big games for him. If he's starting to heat up, Mississippi State becomes a wild card in, in, in a lot of brackets next week. Yeah, I, I agree with that because they're a dangerous team when they play well. It's been that consistency that they've kind of been in search of all season long. And and to me, I, I think this holds true, hey, Dad. It's almost like with Mississippi State, the outcome you expected going into a game is generally speaking the outcome that you've gotten. So when you look at Mississippi State against teams that are better than them, they have lost when they're playing a team that they're as good as or they are better than, they've won, and it's kind of been like that all season long. You'll forgive a Dan Mullen reference, but it feels a little bit like when Dan Mullen was coaching the Bulldog football team. They won the games they were supposed to. They lost the games that on paper they were supposed to. And in teams where they, in games where they were evenly matched, they generally won. Yeah. State does not have an upset win 
uh, this year. I mean, we were talking about it at, at, at lunch and, and what state's best win, and I still think it's Wofford. And then their second best win is probably the win against Auburn at home, which is a, you know, pretty evenly matched teams in my opinion. And then their third best win is probably against Ole Miss and Oxford. And again, two teams that are, you know, probably pretty evenly matched. So, yeah, there's not a win the Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU kind of wins. State got close against LSU. They were close against sure. Kentucky at home. They'll get another shot at Tennessee tonight, and uh, they'll see if they can add that signature win that, that maybe pushes them up the seed line, which I know we're going to discuss later, but that State has moved up in the most recent bracketology. They will, uh, they will not get another shot against LSU. LSU goes down earlier today, 76-73. Florida gets the win. Andrew Nimhard, the freshman point guard from Canada for the Gators, who's been pretty steady all season long. He's not been a big-time scorer this year. Had 20 points, four rebounds, six assists, and he hit the dagger with 1.2 seconds left. Rippy, I know you've been on the road for uh, a lot of the day. I don't think that you can quantify it in the same way that you did Ole Miss kind of collapsing last night against Alabama. But LSU very easily could have gone into the locker room up 15, maybe up 18. They didn't do that. They were up 10 at the half, and Florida kind of stayed within striking distance and then exploded for 51 points in the second half. So Florida won? Florida won, 76. You haven't been paying attention. You've been on the road. I drove into Oxford straight to the studio, recorded a podcast, and drove here. Well, okay, uh, you're, you're forgiven for Yes, Florida won 76-73. Hey, Dad, did you watch much of it? I, I didn't get to see any of it. By the way, you, you were getting on me yesterday, and me and Rippy, about not watching a game. This hotel doesn't have SEC Network. So What? I'm just, I'm just sort of out of luck on that. Gracious. Well, uh, you do have a tournament, com- and we can't watch it. You've got a computer, right? Yeah, I, I was I was out and about running a couple of errands today. So here's the thing, I'm really dumb, and I didn't I didn't plan for cold weather. It's cold up here today, so I had to go buy a jacket. So that's what I spent most of my afternoon doing. But I was keeping up with the game on Twitter, and you're right. It seemed like LSU was in control, and then all of a sudden Florida makes a run, and then all of a sudden LSU's giving it away. Let me try this a third time. Borky, you watched the game today, right? Yeah, I had the end of it on in the background. I was I was working on the show, so I didn't get to watch it from start to finish. But once uh, you can tell when a game's getting exciting based on Twitter, and you have no idea what's happening, but people kind of tell you when to go turn it on. And so I, I put my work aside for a second, pulled it up, saw the game-winning three, and... I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm really not. But it was really funny to see the foul discrepancy heavily, heavily favor Florida today, almost as if they were okay with LSU having an early exit. Florida committed 10 fouls in the ballgame. LSU whistled for 24 fouls. Free throws. Gators were 16 of 26. LSU was 7 of 11 in the ballgame. So that certainly is a, a pretty big difference. Don't be conspiracy theory guy. I don't LSU. really believe it. I don't. It's just funny how that worked out and, the, and they got bounced today. It, you, you wonder if Will Wade would have won that game, though. I think they. I think he would have. Uh, I think LSU made some critical mistakes down the stretch. Now, there's one in particular that didn't come back to bite them. It, it kind of drives me crazy. I understand the rationale behind it. But the whole let's roll the ball up the floor to save a couple of seconds. Well, uh, okay, I guess sometimes it works in your favor to save a couple of seconds. LSU is rolling the ball up the floor in, I think it was a tie game. I think it was 70-70 to 70 at, uh, at that point. Or, no, they were actually down three. 
So there's 22 seconds left. They were down three. It was it was either 73-70 or yeah, whatever whatever the score was. They were down three at that point. They rolled the ball up the floor. Tremont Waters allows the ball to go not only across the half-court stripe, but it's about five feet away from the three-point line. He still hasn't pick it, uh, picked it up. And at that point, Jalen Hudson for Florida decides to dive at the ball. He dives down and gets a tie-up. And fortunately for LSU, the, the possession arrow was in their favor. That's as boneheaded a play as I've seen a, a big-time point guard make in a while. Ends up that play in particular uh, didn't bite LSU, but Florida uh, hits the big shot uh, to win 76-73 and advance. And that should be it for Florida into the uh, the NCAA tournament. Most recent bracketology from Joe Lunardi. This came in, oh, I don't know, just a, a few minutes ago. Um, eight ACC teams, eight Big Ten teams, seven SEC teams in. The last four buys now in the bracketology. So the four teams that are in the field of 68 that would not have to go to Dayton and play in one of the play-in games, Minnesota, Arizona State, Florida, and Ohio State, the last four teams to get in, Temple, St. John's, NC State, and TCU. First four out, Belmont, who probably deserves to be in, except for the fact that they've played a garbage schedule, Alabama, who beat Ole Miss last night, Texas, who lost, and Indiana, who lost. You had four teams from the state of Texas lose in the Big 12 tournament yesterday. Next four out, Clemson, Lipscomb, Borky's Furman, Paladins, and Xavier. So that's kind of the uh, the most up-to-date. All right, so I know you guys are interested. Where is Ole Miss? Where is Mississippi State in the most up-to-date bracket from uh, Joe Lenardi? Well, Mississippi State is still a five seed. They are a five seed, though, in the east region where Virginia is the number one overall. Mississippi State is a 5-12 meeting up with New Mexico State. And then the winner of that game would play the winner of Kansas State, Vermont, in San Jose, California. That's just what we need is to send Brian Haydad to California for the NCAA I've never tournament. Been to California. You, you, you might not be going. <laughs> That's a long <laughs> way. A long way. Uh, and then you've got Ole Miss in an 8 9 game uh, paired up with Syracuse. So Ole Miss and Syracuse, who met in the NIT two years ago. Uh, in the South region, Columbus, Ohio, where Kentucky is the number one seed, if it played out this way, and likely regardless of where Ole Miss finishes, it's going to be in that 8-9 game, I guess they could potentially drop down to the 10 seed line and not have to face a number one in the uh, in a second round game. But as it sits right now, Ole Miss is a nine seed against Syracuse and then would meet Kentucky in a second round game. Can I do anything for you? Columbus would be interesting. All right. Dynamite drop in by Rippy. We got more coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio, Sports Talk Mississippi on a Friday. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. All right, so we're spread out today. Rippy and I are at Swayze Field in Oxford. Ryan Scott Rippey thought he was going to still be in Nashville, like at the 19-minute uh, mark of the second half last night, but uh, instead he jumped in the car and came home today. Brian Haydad still in Nashville. Mississippi State will again play 
in the nightcap tonight at Bridgestone Arena. Borky is in Jackson. What have we got coming up this afternoon? SEC tournament stuff. How about the win for Southern Miss yesterday against Marshall? They are playing Western Kentucky right now in Frisco in the Conference USA tournament. Could Southern Miss, who's playing as well as anybody in Conference USA, get the automatic bid and possibly have three teams from the state of Mississippi in the NCAA tournament? We'll keep an eye on that score. Kendall Rogers will join us a little bit later this afternoon. We'll look ahead to the matchup tonight for Mississippi State and Tennessee. We will preview both baseball matchups, Ole Miss against Alabama and Mississippi State at Florida. We'll talk a little bit about Javante Smart being cleared for LSU, although you're not going to see him again until Thursday or Friday of next week as LSU got bounced earlier today. A little more NCAA news as there is a new team that is into the fold and how about Zion Williamson? Was he healthy last night? Was he okay in his return to the hardwood? 13 of 13, 29 points, double-digit rebounds. He was unbelievable last night for Duke in their win against Syracuse. He looked even more explosive than he was pre-injury last night. He just got a three-week break. <laughs> he still can't at shoot, the bit. though. I mean, he's an awful shooter. He was two of nine on the free throw line. He he can't shoot, but my goodness. As well, I say, he was thirteen of thirteen from the field, mostly dunks and shots close to the basket. But as Colin Cowherd pointed out today, he's absolutely right. The second best player in college basketball was on the floor as well last night, and he was invisible. That's how explosive and athletic Zion is. You know who was not invisible last night? Alabama's front court. Dante Hall had 15 rebounds. Galen Smith had seven rebounds. Alabama out-rebounded Ole Miss 50-30 en route to a 62-57 win. A five-point win for Alabama last night in the second-round game against Ole Miss. Rebels led by 14 at the half. They led by 16 with 19 and a half minutes to play in the ballgame and somehow managed to lose last night. Rippy, walk me through it. What the heck happened? The first eight minutes of the second half looked really a lot like the most of the January matchup where Alabama just kind of bullied Ole Miss inside. And, and kind of, Ole Miss was the aggressor coming out of the gates, which was interesting given what you know Alabama had to play for and Ole Miss didn't. But, yeah, I mean, they just kind of got bullied on the glass. I think the rebounding margin ended up being 50-30. to 30. Um, They got in some foul trouble. Bruce Stevens got hurt um, for a stretch of the game, and it, it just it spiraled pretty quickly. Uh, the other piece, Ole Miss, a combined, well, I should say Ole Miss, Brian Tyree and Terrence Davis, a combined four for 27. You can't win when your two best players make four out of 27 shots. Well, I mean, I, I can't even do the math off the top of my head. It's like 18%. I have no idea what percent it is, but it's not good. And... That in and of itself is a bit of an outlier, but the, what Kermit Davis was concerned with is the fact that it affected the way they defended, which is a bit concerning from two upperclassmen in a March game that would have eliminated any sliver of a doubt without, and with regards to a tournament bid. So that is the more concerning part and something that could rear its head again. I don't think either one of them will combine to go 4 of 27 again. 14.8%. 14.8% for those two guys combined in the ballgame. Brian Tyree said as much after the game. I know you were in the locker room, and, and it didn't sound like he said a whole lot after the game. Took ownership, though, talked about the fact that he was missing shots and then just allowed it to completely affect his defense. How does that happen at this point? 
maybe a little mental fatigue and it just kind of wears on you. And I think Alabama frustrated them with, like, Alabama is a weird matchup for Ole Miss inside because you think it's not necessarily a bad matchup because Dom can play in the game because Alabama doesn't really have any post players that extend Dom out on the perimeter, which is where he gets exposed. But they're a lot more physical. Like, Hall is a lot more physical, Smith's a lot more physical, and they just kind of push Ole Miss's bigs around. And on the other end of that, with regards to Tyree, I don't think they got to the rim as easy as they're accustomed to. And once they kind of got frustrated a couple times early, they started settling for jump shots, and then they had a bad shooting night. And you know, usually you can kind of account for that by trying to get easier looks closer to the rim, get out in transition, but they didn't do that because they didn't defend. Hey, Dad, I know you were there or made your way over as that game was going on. Borky, I know you watched it. it it's one of those games, you, you lose by five, ultimately. But it was a tight ball game down the stretch. And it's one of those games where you can point to about, oh, I don't know, 12 or 15 things. Maybe that's exaggerating. Maybe seven or eight things. That if just one of those seven or eight things had gone the other way, we're not talking about a loss. We're talking about an ugly win where Ole Miss was able to hang on. Dominic Olenicek gets an offensive rebound, and instead of going up and dunking it at seven feet, he tries to lay it in and hits the side of the rim. Two fast breaks where Alabama comes down the floor and they get blocks. Maybe it's a foul, maybe it's not, but you don't get the call and you don't get the bucket. Terrence Davis just inexplicably throwing it to other the other team on multiple occasions there are a lot of like single plays that you can point to that if just one of them, or maybe two of them, had gone the other way, Ole Miss wins that game last night. But all of the momentum in the second half went the way of Alabama. Yeah, and K.J. Buffin missed one close at the rim late as well that would have, I think, brought them down to within one with under a minute to play, just, just a bunny that he completely missed. I think Bruce's injury as well, even though he came back in the game it was clear that he could not do any kind of banging down low. Uh, he was just getting easily cleared out of the lane that uh, allowed for Alabama to get some easy drives and easy buckets late because you could tell, even if he comes back healthy uh, when they play again Thursday or Friday, uh, that ankle was not right and he could not get physical down low and that allowed Alabama to just clear him out and get some easy looks at the basket. And there's, I mean, nothing really Ole Miss could do. I mean, they were in foul trouble. Uh, a Buffin fouled out late in the game. And you needed that guy in the game, even with his poor ankle, and he just could not get it done. The reoccurring issue, though, is that once again they were really bad in half court offense late in the game. The shot selection was bad. Terrence Davis had an awful turnover with about what a minute, eleven, minute, twelve left that gave Alabama a basket in transition that that gave them the lead. And you know, kind of like the was that where he just kind of looped, he looped the pass over to nobody. Yeah, he was trying to make a skip pass across the court, but didn't exactly put any mustard on it. Um. But once again, like the Kentucky game, Ole Miss didn't score for the last three minutes and change of the game. Or I guess the the Kentucky game is the other way around. Kentucky didn't score. Ole Miss couldn't get really anything going offensively. But my point being is they've got to be better and more consistent on the offensive end late. My question on that is, I mean, they've got a they've got a relatively veteran backcourt, right? I mean, you've got a senior in Terrence Davis, even though he didn't play play well yesterday, and Brian Tyrese played a ton of basketball, but when you look at those guys, Shuler as well, they haven't really played any meaningful basketball. Terrence Davis was a freshman when they made the NCAA tournament last time, if I remember correctly, and he was getting, what, three minutes a game no, back he, then? No, he didn't. He was not on that team. Uh, he wasn't even on that team. So he has never played in an NCAA tournament. So he and Tyree and Shuler, even though Shuler was pretty good last night, at least... Uh, he's he was their most consistent player down the stretch. They seem to get really tight 
in games against Tennessee, Kentucky, their better opponents, or in games that really matter. So do you think there's an element of these guys have never been there before, they've never played in these games, and so this is really, even though they're veterans, their first time playing real, meaningful basketball in March? I think there's an element to it. Does that worry you about the NCAA tournament, that they're going to get past even the first game? Well, I don't. I mean, I don't know about the whole whether they get past the first game or not. I mean, if you're playing in an eight-nine game, you're playing against a pretty good team. Which I mean, you, you could theoretically play well in that game and lose. I, I just, uh, Rippy, you may have a thought on what Morky was saying. And the other thing that I'm kind of curious about is, will the law of averages play out? I mean, if you have Terrence Davis go one for eleven, one for six, for three points, and Brian Tyree go three for sixteen for seven points. Does that mean they're due when they step back onto the floor next time and you could just as easily see those two guys combine for 35? I don't know if it's this. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily believe that in the sense because, you know, a lot of it is creating your own shot and running good offense, and they settled for a lot of really contested jump shots last night. I mean, how many times watching that game did you watch Tyree go down the floor and, you know, one pass, two pass, and it went up contested from about 20, you know, 22, 25 feet? So it'll depend on kind of their approach offensively. And I, I don't think, on the surface, I don't think they'll have another game where they go 4 of 27, but they're also going to have to play better on that end. Yeah, the other part of it with regard to the NCAA tournament, and you said a second ago, you know, you erase any sliver of doubt. I mean, I guess there's a sliver of doubt when you, you've not been to the tournament for a while and you didn't play well down the stretch. But there's nobody. Like, literally nobody that is projecting the field of 68 that has Ole Miss anywhere even close to the bubble at this point. Everybody's got them as a lock. Well, sure, they're going to get in. So my question is, and maybe it's not a question, but I think matchup. I mean, it's less about, you know, who the team is, but how is the team that they match up with in the NCAA tournament? Because there's some matchups that you look at that do not work for this Ole Miss team. And then some other matchups that, okay, yeah, you can absolutely see a route to maybe even getting to the second weekend. We'll talk more about that, and we'll also turn the page to Mississippi State's win over Texas A&M and start to look forward to their game tonight with Tennessee when we continue in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. You can text the show on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Nine five, Ole Miss fan. What'd you think about the basketball game last night? Are you disappointed? Of course you are. Are you worried about what it means going forward? What about you, Bulldog fans? How do you feel going into tonight's game against Tennessee? A rematch from a game just a week or so, a couple of weeks ago, that did not go well. Hey, Dad, was the the loss in Knoxville was that the most lopsided loss of the entire season for Mississippi State? I'd have to double-check that between that and the Kentucky game. I think State, they're very close. They were, they were both, I think, between 15 and, and 18 points. Yeah. It felt, it, for whatever reason, it felt more dominant to me than the, the loss at Kentucky. It was like they were kind of in the Kentucky game, although that was a while back and I don't remember all the details from it. The one in Knoxville just felt like there was never any chance on, on senior night in, uh, at, at Thompson Bowling. Um, yeah, and- we talked to Tyson Carter last night in the locker room, and he said it. He said what we talked about on this show, that State did not play with the effort and the energy they had to have in, in, in Knoxville to have any chance to win that game. He said he told us that. So, you know, if State can turn that around and play 
with, with you know better energy tonight, I think they can be in the game. All right, we'll see how tonight goes. In fact, we'll take a look at that game coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Kind of a final thought on Ole Miss basketball as they now will rest and wait. Uh, they'll have a, uh, a watch party at the Pavilion for the NCAA Tournament Selection Show on Sunday afternoon uh, and then find out what's next for them. So, Rippy, I, I kind of alluded to this. And I'm not sure that I, I said it very well going to the break. If Ole Miss is a, a, a nine seed or even if they're a ten seed, that first-round matchup and really even the second-round matchup to me is all about matchups and how the team is built that they face. Um, the matchup against Alabama, you saw it twice this year, once in Tuscaloosa and then once in Oxford, was not a good one at all because of the bigs for Alabama. There were a couple of other teams that you could point to where you go, that's just really not a good matchup. But you look at two wins against Auburn, that was a pretty good matchup for Ole Miss because Auburn was a team that was was pretty guard-dependent, and they didn't have huge guys down low that were a force on the glass. If Ole Miss gets the right matchup, it's not crazy to think at all that they could play themselves into the second weekend of the tournament. The wrong matchup, and it wouldn't be crazy at all to think that they could have a quick exit after one game. Sure. I mean, they could win a game, but like you said, it would depend on who they who they matched up with and i mean that's the case for every team in the tournament to some degree outside of you know the top eight nine seeds yeah um kind of turning the uh, the attention to mississippi state and i guess hey dad we'll start with last night you you mentioned that um lamar peters uh, was kind of the the lamar peters that you would like to see for uh for mississippi state last night uh peters in the starting lineup, plays 34 minutes, hits five of his nine three-point attempts. Those were the only shots that he made. Uh, had three assists in the game, couple of steals, did turn it over four times, finishes with 15 points. That was a performance from Lamar Peters that, that certainly you can live with. Oh, yeah, and he looked like the – the Lamar Peters you want to see. He was playing with a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't afraid to pull the trigger on those jump shots. Uh, he, he looked like he would, may have been looking to shoot more, to be t- totally honest with you. And the facilitator role last night went to Quindary Weatherspoon, who had nine assists to go with his 12 points. So for MSU, you know, made a little bit of a role reversal last night, and you saw Peters become more of that, that shooting guard and, and sort of letting Q and, and Tyson Carter to a lesser degree handle the distribution. And whatever the, the, the strategy was there, it worked for Mississippi State because you got Peters hot shooting behind the three-point line, and he is such a streaky shooter that if he can keep that momentum going, that's going to be a, a real problem, not only tonight for Tennessee, but you know going into March and then the NCAA tournament. Texas A&M completely overmatched in the uh, in the game last night. Savion Flagg had 21 points. Uh, Mahan off the bench had 10 points. Those were the only two players for the Aggies in double digits. Mississippi State wins the rebounding battle. They're plus 14 in that category. Bulldogs have 17 assists on 31 make sh- made shots. You might like to see that number a little bit higher. I'm sorry, that was uh, that was Texas A&M. Mississippi State with. No, you're right. No, no, I was looking. I was looking at the right thing. Yeah, 17 assists on 31 made shots. You know, you'd, you'd love to see that number maybe closer to what 65, 70 percent. But all in all, a pretty good performance against a team that, despite a win the night before, yeah, they're, they're ready to pack it up. And and it's yeah. all she wrote, not only for A and M, but presumably for Billy Kennedy as well. Yeah, but we, you know, like I always say here and on the podcast, uh, when you play a bad team and you're supposed to be a good team. You should beat them easily. 
and that's what State did. They were in control from the first, the first bucket. They were balanced in scoring, three guys in double figures, three more guys with nine points. Obviously, having the big lead allowed you to be a little more judicious with the minutes, and you didn't have to play anybody 37, 38 minutes. So you, you got, you know, I think Q only played 29 minutes. So that's good news for, for tonight for, you know, a well-rested and ready-to-go Tennessee team. Mississippi State isn't coming off a game where they had to grind it out to the very end and play their starters into the 40th minute. So what about the matchup tonight? I, I know LSU won the league. I think Tennessee's the best team in the league. Obviously, Kentucky's talented as well. This is a, a tough matchup, but it's not an impossible matchup. You know, Tennessee, they're a pretty complete basketball team. Uh, guards are playing at a high level. Uh, when they're locked in defensively, who? Uh, you know, if, they, if they've got it going offensively and they're locked in on the defensive side of the ball, who? That is a tough assignment. Yeah, I think you know. You remember back early in the season, you said that you thought LSU was the most talented team, and I probably agree with that. But I think Tennessee is the best team. They they Agreed. play the best as a team. They they have they whatever Rick Barnes is selling, they're buying. And, you know, Schofield and Williams are really, really good basketball players. They just have guys who understand their roles. They do everything the, the right way on the court. They, they play with, with such, such a high level. They don't beat themselves. So, yeah, State's going to have to play its best game of the season. You know, I thought last night might have been State's best game of the season because they were completely dominant on both sides of the court. They can't dominate Texas A&M, like, I'm sorry, Tennessee, the way they did last night, but they, if they play with that same effort and they play that kind of basketball, they can have a chance to win this game in the, in the closing minutes. All right, you were there yesterday. I know you and, and Rippy were both there yesterday, and obviously the dominant color, regardless of who was playing, was that Kentucky blue mm. with both Kentucky and Tennessee playing in the night session. And by the way, wouldn't you like to have a handful of tickets to, uh, to sell on the secondary market uh, for that tonight? What's the what's the vibe in the town? Is it very much pro Kentucky uh, because it's local and the Tennessee folks just not really come out yet? What's it going to look like tonight? Just being around town today and yesterday, obviously, it's like three to one blue to orange, in my opinion. There, there's a ton of Kentucky fans here. I'm seeing the occasional Tennessee fan, and I'm sure, like you said, there's a ton that live here in Nashville and in the outlying area that will just come in tonight for the game, and they're just not walking around downtown. But if you're walking around in downtown Nashville, you're seeing a ton of Kentucky fans. And, and I expect, you know, with the Kentucky game being ahead of the Mississippi State game, that a lot of those people will have tickets for both. And that might actually help Mississippi State out. I would think the Kentucky fans would be, uh, would be pulling for the Bulldogs over the Volunteers. So State might get a little, uh, little boost from Big Blue Nation. What what was your impression, kind of walking around yesterday? Same thing. Well, yeah, well, Kentucky people, it's like an event. Like those people, like invade the city in blue, and then they come to games in which their team's not playing. Not that that's a bad thing, but like it's it's a huge event for that entire fan base because it's a blue blood basketball program. Like Tennessee has a good basketball team this year, but it's not a basketball school, so you're not going to see like as many Tennessee fans like showing up for the. You know, Wednesday night, Missouri A&M or whoever it was that played, stuff like that. Like you see Kentucky people well, do for the entire week. So, yeah, when Kentucky, when Tennessee plays, you'll see a lot more orange. But to Haydad's point, it's, the city is very blue. And, and you know, you, you think about it, and, and this is just big picture, and this is not anything that's earth-shattering or, or groundbreaking. You know, 
Mississippi State students and people that are affiliated with the university and go to ball games at home, a lot of them went to the beach or went skiing or went on a family vacation during spring break if they were going to take a spring break trip. Ole Miss people, tons of them at the beach this past weekend or off skiing somewhere. For Kentucky fans, I mean, I'm sure there's some Kentucky people that went to the beach or took a ski trip or decided to do something else like go to Disney World. But a lot of Kentucky fans plan every single year spring break, we're going to the SEC tournament, and then the following weekend we're going to the NCAA tournament. And then we'll see what happens from there, but they're just going to follow them as long as they want to. It's a Kentucky team or a Kentucky program that took 1,500 fans to the Bahamas in August to watch exhibition games at Atlantis. It's incredible. There's another word that starts with an I that I would use, but, you know. (laughs) What, you're going to go insane? Yeah, but you can admire insanity at times. But but why do we not programs when they have ardent and crazy fan bases? Is, Is it pure jealousy? It's not a knock, but I think Borky's just saying it borders the line between passion and insanity. Yeah. They dance. But is it jealousy that, that whatever you're a team of, that your fan base is not like that for any particular sport? I think we all wish we could have Kentucky's banners hanging in the arenas the, of the teams we cheer for, and there's no question about that. I just want that. one of those old varsity jackets with the big cat logo that hadn't been used in half a century. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. And go to the Farm Bureau phone line where Kendall Rogers is standing by. Kendall from D1 Baseball. Kendall, always appreciate your time. It's a blink of the eye. I I said this yesterday. We spend so much time counting down to the start of the season. You blink your eyes, and you've made it through four weeks of of non-conference play. (laughs) you got league play going on all over the place. We'll be in Hoover before we know it. Yeah, you're right. It seems like once football's over, it's like a slow uh, couple of weeks, and then we start baseball, then it's like full speed ahead. So uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend, man. I tell you what, I think you look at the schedule and the conference, just a lot of intriguing matchups, and certainly there with Mississippi State going to Florida, and obviously uh, Ole Miss and uh, Alabama. That's that's really intriguing too, especially when you look at the Alabama and the the winning streak those guys have been on as of late. Yeah, I, I was talking with Eric Sorensen yesterday, and you know you look at the seven series, and there's not really a clunker of any of the seven, and it feels like this is going to be one of those years where that's the case almost every weekend for the entire ten weeks when you've got. 11 teams ranked in the top 25 from one conference, you're going to generally have pretty good matchups every week. No, yeah, you're right. You know, I kind of go back to a few years ago when I saw Tim Davidson in East Bay, Missouri, uh, in the Atlanta airport, and the guy just looked totally worn out. And I remember asking him, like, hey, uh, you know, what, what's wrong, coach? And he's like, man, he's like, in the Big 12, we, you know, it's just like we have an off weekend here and there. And the SEC, uh, we just don't, and it's hard to get used to. And so I think if you look at uh, this conference schedule and this league this year, you know, Tennessee was always one of those teams you can kind of bank on to be, you know, flat, you know, pretty terrible to say the least. Uh, Alabama is one of the teams you can count on to be not so good. And uh, this year, both those teams seem much improved. I'm still more of a believer in a team like maybe Tennessee than I am Alabama. I just think Tennessee has the pitching, they have the talent. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt. I mean, this league right now uh, is about 12 to 13 teams deep, and uh, you could even argue Kentucky and Missouri are pretty solid clubs too. Uh, let's stick with Alabama for a second, or, or at least the Alabama Ole Miss series in Oxford this weekend. Yeah. When, when you look at these two teams and you compare them, they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Ole Miss with basically everybody returning offensively but having to completely retool their weekend rotation and certainly still some question marks from a pitching standpoint. 
Alabama's got some of its rotation back, but 21 new faces, basically all the position players, certainly on the infield, are new. And it's an Alabama team that's won 12 in a row, and they've played to 16-2 and two overall. Not a great schedule so far. What do you yeah. see this weekend in Oxford? Well, number one, I think you kind of uh, kind of touched on something I was about to in the sense that, you know, there are a lot of new faces for Alabama. And, you know, playing at South Alabama or playing at home at Thomas Sewell is a little different uh, than going to uh, Oxford and trying to beat Ole Miss uh, in their ballpark. So uh, I do think Alabama loses that series this weekend. I just think when you look at the, all the new faces, uh, I think they're going to, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to be starstruck, but it's a little different being on the road, as we all know. Uh, but the, the big key for, you know, Alabama for me uh, has kind of been the, the rise of Brock Love. You know, Sam Finnerts has thrown really well, but Brock Love uh, has put together a couple of really good starts. And uh, they've got some consistency in the weekend rotation, which is quite frankly something uh, they really haven't had at all over the last few years. But, you know, I, I agree with you. They haven't played the greatest schedule, although I do like that series went over South Alabama. They have yeah. not played a great schedule, so I'm just really intrigued to see what they can do on the road against a good team. What's your level of concern right now for Ole Miss? They're sitting there at 12-5, and five, only lost two non-conference games a year ago, which is probably yeah. a little bit of an anomaly. They've lost five games so far. They get swept in the midweek against a, a good Louisville team, and there are some concerns or at least some question marks on the mound right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're, they're lacking consistency on the mound. I mean, you look at uh, the couple of losses they had early, you know, Phillips early on you know, against Wright State. I think it was Wright State struggled. And, uh, you know, they just haven't been consistent on the mound. And, and that's the other thing. Uh, kind of like Tennessee last year, they had the talent. Ole Miss is one of those teams. They had the talent. So, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, can they put all the pieces together? I think they can. Uh, I think they'll be fine. But uh, there's no doubt that this uh, this pitching has to be more consistent. If they're not, uh, they're going to find themselves in a kind of middle of the pack or, you know, sixth to tenth place in that league, which, by the way, this year isn't such a bad place to be in. But I know uh, Ole Miss expects to be much higher considering uh, they are a preseason top ten club. And then if we slide a little south to Gainesville, probably the marquee matchup this weekend in the SEC, maybe oh, the marquee yeah. matchup in the entire country with Mississippi State with the way that they've played early this year. And Florida's dropped some midweek games, but that's just once again a, a team that is loaded offensively, and they got uh, it seems like they've got an arm or two as well. Yeah, you know, I get it. You know, Mississippi State fans have been kind of shifty with us because we, you know, we continue to have Florida ahead of Mississippi State, and uh, there's no doubt that Florida has a couple of midweek losses, and you know, early on, especially with all these young players they have, they struggled a little bit in some of those midweek games. But as you saw uh, a couple of nights ago, they powered through past Florida State, scored 20 runs uh, against the Seminoles, and they've taken care of business on the weekend. So I, I love this series on paper. I really wish I, I could be there, but you know, you look at the series overall. For Florida, it kind of boils down to, you know, that rotation against Mississippi State's lineup. You look at the job that Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich have done for those guys. Uh, Tyler Dyson certainly a big key. Dyson, you know, began the season as the Friday starter, but he's back to the end of the rotation. You know, how, how is he? He's been inconsistent. We talk about inconsistent pitching. He's been like Mr. Inconsistent, but he's got big time stuff. Uh, and then for Florida, if you're a state fan, keep an eye on Kendrick Callalau. Uh, the, the freshman for those guys has been tremendous. I think he's hitting around 395. Uh, I really liked him when I was at the Miami series. Uh, he can go opposite field with power. So keep an eye on him. But for State, uh, I think the biggest thing for me is just how, you know, Ethan Small and JT Ginn against that Florida lineup that you know, red hot, you know, uh, Ethan Small to me, I really felt like it in the last year, you know, put together one of his best performances at Omaha. I thought that was kind of a, uh, you know, a stage setter for this year. He's been terrific. And, of course, JT Ginn, 
I mean, he has been exactly what we all thought he would be and what he could be. And uh, we'll see how he does this weekend on the road. It's a little different. I, I know Florida isn't exactly a raucous atmosphere, but we'll see how he handles a little bit of adversity potentially uh, against a, certainly a, a well-coached Florida team. I, I think the series is a push. Uh, I think I lean Florida at home. But, you know, would I be surprised if State wins it? Absolutely not. I mean, they're back-to-back in the rankings. So then, Kendall, it's Brian Haydad here. Let's say State wins this series, and you talked about MSU fans giving you a little grief on on Twitter. It, does State <laughs> jump into the top five? How far up could they go with a series win this weekend? Uh, oh, they they could go up several spots. Uh, and, you know, I guess it's not too much too, far, too much further to go, being six. But you know, you look at a series over Florida. Obviously, they're over Florida, uh, and then UCLA and Oregon State play this weekend, so they're obviously over one of those two teams. So. Essentially, you're looking at the worst-case scenario being probably third in the country. So, uh, Chris Lamontis has done a great job, and I really thought uh, when you looked at you know that hire, I was really intrigued to see how he made that transition going from uh, Indiana to MSU, a place and certainly expectations are high. There's a lot of pressure, and I felt like I feel like you know not only has Chris handled it well, but Scott Foxhall. Uh, I don't think people talk about him enough. I think Scott's done a tremendous job with that pitching staff so far. And, you know, the things that are doing that are going well for State are kind of the things I really like about this team coming out of the season. You know, Cole, Cole Gordon has been electric. You know, Colby White uh, has a big-time arm. Uh, and they've got a lot of depth. So uh, I, I'm liking this team a lot right now on paper. Kendall, I don't know that we've got time to walk through every series in the league this week, but there are a couple that, that jump out. I mean, Tennessee, given what they've done so far this season, probably their biggest test of the year. I know Indiana was a, a decent ball club that they had there in Knoxville. To go on the road to face an Auburn team yeah. that is good, that Tanner Burns can can really get it done on the mound. What do you expect with Tennessee and Auburn this weekend? Well, we're going to find out pretty quick about Tennessee because Tanner Burns, I was writing about him earlier this week, Tanner Burns uh, has 39 strikeouts and four walks so far this year. So we're going to find out a little bit about Tennessee right out of the gate. Casey Mize who? <laughs> Casey who? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's like Tennessee has this great non-conference. It's like, oh, by the way, have fun with Tanner Burns to start your conference slate. But, you know, they'll, they'll have a tough time with him. But, you know, you look at the rest of the weekend, and Tennessee, from a pitching standpoint, uh, actually matches up pretty well. So, uh, you know, I do like Auburn at home, but without Davis Daniel, keep an eye on Jack Owen for Auburn. Uh, the lefty has been outstanding since uh, Butch Thompson moved into the rotation uh, after the UCF series. And then, you know, over here in College Station, uh, I'll be here Friday and Sunday for Vanderbilt and A&M, uh, and then at Texas Tech, Texas tomorrow. But uh, looking at A&M and Vandy real quick, uh, really intriguing series. I mean, Vanderbilt's mm-hmm. been inconsistent on, inconsistent on the mound, excuse me, uh, and then A&M has really struggled offensively. So that tells me something has to give. And so, I like Vandy in the series, but again, kind of like State and Florida, uh, nothing would surprise me in the series. I think a and has the talent offensively. They just really haven't gotten it done so far, but they have the pitching. Kendall, only about 30 seconds left. I, I'm curious, when, when I did a, a, an Auburn game last year, one of the things that, that Butch talked to me about was just how much Casey Mize approached every day like a true pro. How much of that do you think rubbed off on Tanner Burns? Well, I wrote a lot about that in that story this week, but, uh, you know, Tanner Burns is wearing Casey Mize's number this year because Casey taught him so much last year. So uh, Casey Mize sprinkled a little bit of that dust on him, and apparently it's working. You can uh, you can check out that story in the full SEC primer at D1Baseball.com. It's going to be a fun weekend. Kendall, always appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, guys. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Stuff. Guys, earlier today, um, Javante Smart was cleared by LSU to play in the game. 
He, um, according to a release from LSU, cleared the freshman for today's game against Florida. He's fully cooperated and participated in a joint inquiry with LSU and the NCAA, resulting from reports of wiretap conversations purportedly involving head coach Will Wade. Purportedly is an interesting word there. Smart was held out of the regular season finale against Vanderbilt out of what LSU called an abundance of caution in cooperation with the NCAA. Though the inquiry is not closed after multiple additional interviews, there has been no wrongdoing identified to date as a result, and because of his full cooperation and transparency, Smart has been cleared by university officials for play on Friday. Played in the game earlier today and played well for LSU. What do you think about this? I thought they did exactly what most people expected them to do the whole time, which is realize that this season, if the NCAA comes down, is already ruined anyway, so you might as well give yourself the best chance to win, and the statement says it all. We haven't found any wrongdoing yet. We're cooperating with the NCAA right now, and since we haven't found any wrongdoing yet, we're going to play him. Because if we do find it, the season's ruined, so we might as well just go win games. LSU Senior Associate Athletic Director Robert Munson told NOLA.com, I'd say it went very, very quickly. I would tell you that the NCAA has been amazing in working with us. They got on the ground quickly. They worked very, very late, very long days to get us to this point. We've been extremely pleased with the cooperation and the speed in which they've worked. They've been very responsive to us. It's... um. It's interesting to me to hear somebody talking about how quickly and how great the NCAA was to work with in an eligibility matter. Well, it's sort of like, you know, the way you got to talk about your mother-in-law, right? What are you going to do? Just Oh, she's terrible right in front of your wife? No, you're not going to do that. And the, the, the member institutions are not to the NCAA's face going to say, this is a big pain in the you-know-what. We hate talking to these guys. They're terrible. They're, they're going to they're gonna butter them up as much as they possibly can. Yeah, that sounded like schmoozing, didn't it? Schmoozing, yeah, and I'm sure, the they'll word, really, yeah. I'm sure they'll really take that into consideration when they operate the full-on kangaroo court on them when deciding a punishment. Like, yes, you most certainly can like not schmooze them, and multiple people have in the past. Like, to me, that's bizarre. Yeah. Um. The whole idea that we're cooperating fully with the NCAA. If LSU is indeed cooperating fully with the NCAA, and, and maybe there's an argument to be made that because of the wiretaps and because of the abundance of evidence, they don't have any choice but to do that. But I would say that if LSU is cooperating fully, quote-unquote, with the NCAA, then they haven't been paying attention because that's a really bad strategy. Maybe it's not, and this is just me thinking out loud here, maybe it's not a bad strategy for one of the true power programs. Because we all agree that there's a double standard. Is North Carolina a power program? And they got off light. They didn't cooperate. They told told the NCAA to screw off at every single turn. But at the same time, maybe LSU is just like, look, they're not going to do anything to us. And they're going to take it from there. You know, why be the bad guy? It is important to know. has never proved to be a good strategy. Sorry, Borky. No, it's okay, but you're right. It, it hasn't. It is important to note that in every release and every article, it makes it clear that LSU has cleared him and not the NCAA. So they're not, well, they, they didn't hold him until NCAA, the NCAA gave him clearance. 
they decided they haven't found anything wrong, so they're going to play them. Well, and interesting, if if you rewind to Cam Newton, remember when Cam Newton's ultimate eligibility did not there, – there were so many questions. But ultimately, Auburn ruled him ineligible, and then the NCAA reinstated him. That did not happen here. period. Hey, that's exactly right. So, again, more evidence that upon from time to time, the NCAA can move with pedal to the metal speed. There are also times where they either can't or choose not to move with pedal to the metal speed. But it is important to point out that that did not happen here. LSU has not found anything for which they say they need to rule him immediately ineligible and then have him reinstated by the NCAA. That did not happen in this case. And they were quick to point out that the inquiry is ongoing. I, here's what I'd like to know. I would love to know if behind closed doors, LSU said to the NCAA, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to tell everybody how great a job you guys are doing, but if you don't find something that, in, you know, you, you put the NCAA stamp on it that tells us with 100% certainty you have found that he broke a rule, then we're playing him. And we're going to say we haven't found anything. I just wonder if that conversation happened behind closed doors. You would hope so. Because holding the eligibility above these kids head especially when there hasn't been anything found yet i know this case is slightly different because i mean it's a federal wiretap where this player was spoken about specifically about a really nice deal what was the exact phrasing a it strong, was a, a, a strong deal. ass offer yeah a, oh. a, yeah one of those it's so one of your words um so this is slightly different, but I do like that if that is, in fact, the case, at least somebody's fighting against this idea that, well, we think this kid did something wrong, therefore he's not going to play until he proves himself innocent. I don't like that practice in principle, so at least it's not playing out in this case. Well, but I think where you started with this conversation, Borky, is also reality. LSU knows that if the NCAA finds something with regard to Javante Smart later, they're going to go back and they're going to rule him – retroactively ineligible, and they're going to wipe everything off the board for LSU anyway because they played an ineligible player. And so what difference does it make? To me, that's where this all settles. What difference does it make whether or not LSU plays Javante Smart at this point or not? Because if they don't find anything, you held him out for no reason at all, and if they do find anything, they're going to erase everything that happened when he played in a game anyway. It's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. So why not just play the guy? And in reality, you probably should have played him against Vanderbilt on Saturday in the season finale when they clinched the SEC outright championship. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, maybe there's something that I'm not taking into account or I'm not looking at. Is it okay? We're going to cooperate with the NCAA again to what we've talked about already in hopes that they are a little lenient when sentencing time rolls around? Look, that just doesn't make sense in this case because there's so much there with Will Wade that if if it is found to be true, if the wiretap stuff is reality, if he made an offer and refuses to cooperate with the NCAA, 
LSU is going to be punished big time with their basketball program. And there's a chance that they're going to get hit with lack of institutional control. We'll have to wait and see on that. That seems a given. You think? I mean, they're being handed wiretaps recordings. I just wonder how the NCAA is going to handle this all. That's the next layer because they did petition the FBI to get their documents from the first trial. You know, logic tells you they're going to do it for the second one. Now you've got Kansas football and basketball being investigated. Georgia Tech is in the middle of a thing, which you'll find out about here in a few minutes. Um, LSU is allegedly tied with their football program into funneling money through a children's hospital foundation. All of this stuff is happening, and they have to get involved with the Aunt Becky FBI investigation as well. They don't have the manpower to handle all of this. That That's a good point, Michael. It really is, and it's something that at this point we've not talked about. We've always talked about the fact that the enforcement arm and the investigative arm of the NCAA is understaffed and their ability to handle investigations with the limitations that they have in place makes it impossible for them to do their job. And now, and I'm mixing analogies here, but it's like a country that is fighting war on multiple fronts. Like like you're battling in multiple foreign countries all at the same time. It's kind of impossible to be effective in all of them, especially if you're understaffed. And they are understaffed, and they don't have subpoena power, and now they got stuff going on at Kansas and at Georgia Tech and at LSU, and who knows where else, Arizona? Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Two finals in the books at the SEC tournament in Nashville. The early game today was Florida knocking off LSU 76-73. The Florida Gators now a little more comfortably in the NCAA tournament field. They will play in a semifinal game tomorrow against the Auburn Tigers, who just knocked off who they just beat. I was just watching that game. I, I like my, my brain just completely froze. Say what? South Carolina. South Carolina. I mean, like I just closed out the window and my brain just completely froze. So, uh, yeah, they will uh, they'll play Auburn tomorrow. Florida and Auburn, one of those teams playing for the SEC title. That's two flawed basketball teams, and I'm not sure that either of them, if they play Kentucky or Tennessee, will be able to get the win. But stranger things have happened, right? Right, for sure. I mean, I believe this is March. Yeah. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a little – it's not a meme or whatever, but that's floating around all over Twitter. Everybody, like, is tagging uh, their, their tweets with this is March. Yes, it is March. Crazy things happen in the month of March. So, 76-73, Florida beats LSU, 73-64, Auburn over South Carolina. About an hour and 20 minutes from now, you've got Alabama and Kentucky, and then the nightcap at Bridgestone, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. So those are the two games coming up. Safe to say that Bridgestone is going to feel different in the next session than it has uh, for the first two and a half days. I don't man. It, hey, hey, Dad, are you excited about going tonight, just kind of walking in the front door or the, the media entrance, getting out to the floor and just kind of feeling the buzz inside the building? I won't lie, I am, uh, and especially, you know, I've never been to the SEC tournament 
prior to yesterday and and obviously didn't get the full immersion of the Kentucky fan experience. So I'm excited for that. How many state fans were there last night? You know, it's difficult to tell when when they're playing Texas A&M. Uh, but I thought, I thought it was a pretty decent crowd. The 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 chants and everything, you could hear the MSU contingent. Rippy, I'll ask you, I, I meant to ask you this earlier, Ole Miss fans? Um, yeah. I mean, they were a decent crowd. I don't know. You're talking to someone that's half colorblind, so like red, crimson, I mean, red, crimson. Look, guys, you can't tell when it's people just hanging out. you got to sit, wait for like a big play when everybody stands up, and then you're like, oh, wow, that's a pretty decent, uh, pretty decent crowd. Pretty, yeah, I would pretty say comparable it, numbers with state fans and Ole Miss fans at the game last night? Oh, I have no clue. I was going to say it did fill up nicely. Like, remember, like at the beginning of the Ole Miss game, there weren't a ton of people in the arena, but by, like, halftime, uh, it was pretty full. Yeah. There were more people in total at the Ole Miss game because I, I looked around. I mean, there were a ton of, of blue and, and, and other shirts there, and I think they just didn't want to wait out the, 8, the 830 tip-off. So the, the arena was just emptier for that game. Gotcha. Hey, here's some quick hits for you, just stuff kind of going on, some of it in the SEC, some of it around the country. Let's take a look at a, a couple of different things right now. First of all, according to Jimmy Hyams, who is a Knoxville, Tennessee radio host, has covered Tennessee for a long time, he tweeted today, sources, SEC men's basketball official Anthony Jordan, who had Facebook post five years ago, uh, who had a Facebook post five years ago appearing to show he's an LSU fan, was suspended by SEC after LSU-UT game on February 23rd, has not called SEC regular season games since, nor will he call any games in the SEC tournament. I guess that's breaking news because nobody else put it out there, and maybe nobody else has really thought to look for it since then. That's not at all surprising to me, um, given the kind of controversy that was out there. It's just something that you, you don't have to deal with if you're the SEC. It's just easy not to put him in the tournament or working a regular season game when the questionable decision pops up at the end of February. You don't think this is a – it's a punishment thing, more of let's just rid ourselves of the story because it's not like he hasn't officiated other basketball games. He has. He's still working as an official, just hasn't done an SEC game. So the replies to that, if you look at it, people were you know putting the tinfoil hat on pointing at the black helicopters in the sky and saying, oh, well, the SEC is trying to cover this up, when in reality they were probably just removing themselves from even the illusion of bad optics. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, Richard and Wiggins, hey, Dad, wants to know how the food is in Nashville. Have you eaten well? It's, I have. I have eaten well. It's uh, the best meal you've had. It might have been today's breakfast. And I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to have to go to confession because I ate meat on a Friday. But uh, it was a, a biscuit sandwich, fried chicken, thigh, cheddar cheese, sausage gravy. Real diet food. And uh, yeah. that, that that with a splash of hot sauce was, was pretty darn good. Where did you go to get that? I mean, that's not, that's not McDonald's breakfast. That's called breakfast. Biscuit Love Gulch. The name of the restaurant was Biscuit Love Gulch? It may have been Biscuit Love. And the place was in the Gulch, which okay. is like a neighborhood here. Have you ever done Pancake Pantry? No, you know, I'm not big on pancakes. Oh, my god. Not goodness. my favorite breakfast thing. What about Nashville? Have you been to Nashville Diner? 
I've never heard of it. It's not a bad spot either. You can check that out for Rippy. I'm telling you, everybody likes to get on me, you know, oh, you're such a MSU homer. You know who we went to lunch with yesterday? Tell them, Rippy. Huh? Who did we go to lunch with yesterday? We ate lunch with Stephen Godfrey. Yeah. Did he buy your lunch? He did not, no. He knew that you were paying for it, so he was like, that's fine. Oh. Well, that's news to me, but uh, glad for it. Rippy, what was the best meal you ate? Did you have Did you have time for a decent meal while in Nashville? Hey, Dad ordered a pizza at like one o'clock in the morning last night. That was pretty good. You ordered a pizza at one a.m. So here's this whole diet thing has gone out the window it, on this no, Nashville no, no, trip. No, I, I did my workout this morning, and I, I'm, I'm. You ate a pizza at one a.m. I hadn't had anything since lunch. I remember I my dinner. first beer. I didn't mean to send you to the principal's office there. I, I thought know, it was right. really good pizza. Thanks, snitch. <laughs> where, where the it was just like find the local pizza so, hut and get it to deliver. No, there was no. something he ran into. Yeah. Like we just considered it average pizza until it got there, and it was it was yeah. well above average. <laughs> we, I, I, my my key didn't work, so I went back downstairs, and as I, it's like eleven forty five, twelve o'clock, this guy's getting food, and I'm like, where'd you get food? Oh, there's this pizza place they delivered. And I said, you know, they're still open. And the guy says, they're open until 5 a.m. And then oh. he just handed me a menu. I was like, this is going to have to happen because I haven't eaten since noon. And so, yeah, and so you guys pizza. you guys shut it down post-game and went straight back to the hotel and ordered a pizza as opposed to partaking in any of the Nashville nightlife. I went out. Well, I had two-hour, half-hour head start. Gotcha. I went so back you needed room. pizza at that point, and Haydad needed it because he was hungry. We both needed it in different ways. <laughs> Fair enough. Richard Richard sends us the uh, on the ceasefire text line the picture of Homer Simpson sitting in the bed with the um, you know the 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 strap across his belly that like vibrates the whole thing like that's an exercise routine. You, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen those before? Like the old school workout things? Like you, you yeah. Stand what up was the just... purpose of those? And why don't we use them anymore? I guess science finally prevailed there. Burns the calories, I bet. It's just movement. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so I said we were going to hit on a couple of things. Georgia Tech has now uh, been served by the NCAA. Uh, a notice of allegations regarding alleged recruiting violations committed by former assistant basketball coach Daryl LeBerry and Ron Bell. Ron Bell was the weird guy that was uh, like trying to extort money from, um, uh, from Josh Pastner. The relationship went back to when he was in uh, Memphis. The guy lived in Arizona. You guys remember any of the details of that from a, a year or so ago? When it yeah. first emerged? It was creepy. He was he bur- he tried to burn it all to the ground because Josh forgot to wish him a happy birthday. Yeah, yeah, that guy not not stable. Uh, the NCAA enforcement staff believes the case should be reviewed by a hearing panel of the NCAA Division One Committee on Infractions pursuant to procedures. Blah 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 blah. Level one infraction levied uh, against Georgia Tech. And then, this is far more interesting, Zion Williamson last night. The return, 29 points, 14 rebounds, 13 of 13 from the floor, and the guy from Syracuse tried to trip it. Yeah, he swung and missed on that. Did you see the details of his shoes, by the way, the shoes he was wearing last night? So, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing here. I heard that Nike came to Durham, talked to them, and then had people go to a like a, a manufacturing facility in China to personally oversee the construction of the new shoes for Zion? Yep. 
yeah, they flew a team to China to make sure the shoes he was wearing were flawless and he wouldn't get hurt again. I think they used like double stitching this time or some stronger threads to hold them together. Well, he got rid of the Paul Georges and he was wearing Kyrie Irving shoes last night. So maybe that had something to do with it. Well, well poor guy. That. Before long, he'll have his own shoe. <laughs> I think I saw that uh, those are shoes you can't buy them. They're not on the market. Prototypes. Have we yeah. checked to see if this guy from Syracuse was tripped by Grayson Allen in the past? <laughs> oh, Grayson Allen would have gotten him to the ground, though. Well, this was a swing and a miss, miss on the trip try. Yeah, he wouldn't have whiffed. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Friday afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. We've got baseball coming up tonight. Mississippi State and Florida get started about 45 minutes from now. Ole Miss and Alabama tonight, 630. Mississippi State, the night game in Nashville in the SEC tournament against Tennessee. Sports Talk Mississippi with you just after 5 o'clock Friday afternoon. Welcome to the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, thanks for joining us. Thanks for riding along with us on this Friday afternoon. Got a bunch going on. SEC basketball tournament cranks back up about an hour from right now with Kentucky taking the floor for the first time against Alabama, who beat Ole Miss last night. And then in the nightcap, Tennessee will play for the first time as uh, they will meet up with Mississippi State, who handily beat Texas A&M last night. You've also got baseball just around the corner. Mississippi State and Florida will get started in about half an hour down in Gainesville, about an hour and a half away from first pitch for Ole Miss and Alabama. A final in the Conference USA basketball tournament Second half got away from Southern Miss as uh, Western Kentucky came from behind and won by 11. The final in that game was 70 to 59. 70 to 59. Sorry, I was trying to pull it up on my screen. You, uh, Rippy, had just looked it up. So, uh, season probably over for Southern Miss. Maybe a shot that they uh, they get an NIT bid or uh, potentially could play in one of the other postseason tournaments if the NIT uh, doesn't come calling. Uh, on Sunday night. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs and you are in North Mississippi, well, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's not just, though, for buying land. It could be if you're building a house in the country. It could be production loans that you might need if you are a farmer. Going to buy timberland. They can help with that. Property improvement loans, operating loans, livestock loans, irrigation loans. All of that, including automobile and personal loans. Mississippi Land Bank has been dealing with folks in North Mississippi for over 100 years. They understand the land financing business. They serve the northern 32 counties in the state of Mississippi, and they know the lay of the land. The website where you can find a branch location or grab the phone number MSLandBank.com. That's Mississippi Land Bank. Glad to have you along. Borky, you ready to jump into a little college football fix? Of course you are. Let's do it. When he presses the button for the music, it means it's time for the college football fix, which is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to BuyFordNow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. And don't stop there. You can see all that Ford has to offer. The cars, the trucks, the vans, the SUVs, the crossovers. They've got them all. BuyFordNow.com. And then visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer to test drive the vehicle of your choice today. 
This story emerged a couple of days ago. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but Fox is getting ready to challenge ESPN and College Game Day. Or at least they're going to attempt to challenge ESPN and College Game Day. Fox has been very, very successful with their NFL studio show. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. When you think about the NFL on Sunday, you've only got, what, 15 games, 16 games in a week in the NFL, and yet Fox has an NFL studio show, CBS has a studio show, ESPN has a studio show, the NFL Network has a studio show, you've got online stuff that's happening, all to get you ready for this handful of games that's happening on a given Sunday. And really it's actually fewer games than that on a Sunday because you've got Monday night football and you had a game on Thursday night as well. So it could it could be as few as 12 games that you've got on a given Sunday. And they all go all in because the NFL is such a king. And yet with college football... You have college game day, and that's it. At one point, Fox made kind of a half-hearted run at trying to put a pregame show on. Maybe that's ongoing. I guess it's on FS1. But nobody has ever really taken a big swing at the at the king of really preview shows across all sports. Game day has built something over the course of the last 25 years that is so hard to replicate and has such a a cachet to it that nobody's really tried. Well, Fox, I think, is ready to try. They've hired former Ohio State coach Urban Meyer, in addition to Reggie Bush, to join Brady Quinn, Matt Leinart, and a host in Rob Stone for a show that will air at 11 a.m. on Saturdays on Fox. Not FS1, not FS2, but Big Fox. That starts this fall. The majority of the shows will be in studio, but for some of the more marquee games that Fox has, Reed, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, you know, maybe they've got a game where they have a, what, a Pac-12 game where it's USC against Oregon, and that's a big deal, then they'll take the show on the road. What do you guys think about this? Are, are, Are you excited that there's going to be some competition for college game day? Will this flop? If they throw enough money behind it and it's good a good production, could it cut into the college game day audience? You've got to do something that will bring people away from college game day, right? You've got to be somewhat different. And reading this and reading the personalities on it, just if you're going to do a similar operation but not be on location at the biggest game of the weekend, you're already playing from behind to begin with. But if it's just another preview show with different personalities and – basically excluding the SEC, then, I mean, good luck, because I'm probably not going to tune in. Yeah, I, I will be interested to see what kind of a tr- what kind of treatment they give to the SEC, because Fox has no rights with the SEC. It's all with CBS or ESPN ABC. So we'll see if they completely ignore the SEC. That seems like that would be a really bad business model. I guess another game that, they, that Fox has the rights to is, is what, OU Texas. So they'll probably do their Fox college preview show from the State Fair in Texas, would seem to make sense. Uh, certainly with Michigan-Ohio State and then maybe some other Big Ten games or some Pac-12 games, or I guess Big 12 games. Um, I don't know if they've got any Big – yeah, they've still got the Big Ten. Yes, so they look do. At, I mean, if they're going to generally speaking go from the studio, but – Let's say maybe five times over the course of the year, 
they've got a monster game that's going to be on their networks, it would make sense to give it a shot. That's just not a small operation. Right. And College Game Day will go to that monster game. College Game Day will will always get that biggest game. So even when you're talking Texas-Oklahoma, if that's the marquee game of the weekend and College Game Day is already there, are you really pulling, really pulling viewers away from ESPN to Fox when you're at the same place? Well, that'll... And there's this huge crowd at College Game Day, and you've got what it looks like at SEC Nation when Vanderbilt is playing, uh, you know, Arkansas at 11 a.m. I mean, it's, that's what you're going to be looking at. That's a bad look. I think they should try the show, and I like Brady Quinn and Matt Leinart on television, but I think I'd rather take Urban Meyer's leadership clash than watch him on television. Like, I just don't understand that at all. I think Reggie Bush yeah. could be interesting. Yeah, I like him. Uh, but, like, Urban Meyer is not charismatic at all. Like, I, I don't know. a guy who will uh, Is he when he chooses he to be? He speaks in coach speak, even when he's not coaching. You've seen him on TV. Granted, he, he hasn't had much experience, and it's been in, like, guest bits or whatever, but he's not very good. Yeah. And you you might have the factor of people won't turn turn him on because of who he is. I mean, there are people that will actively not watch that because the name Urban Meyer is attached to it. I feel like most people have moved on from that. I don't know. The memory thing might be a tough sell on television. <laughs> that he can't remember? Coach, you might Wait. remember in the last segment, what we talked about was this. Yeah. Um, the the only thing that I'm kind of interested to see is, uh, let's say that Texas-Oklahoma is the biggest game of the day and college game day goes. Would Fox try and flex its muscle and say, that's fine, we'll go too? Set up their set on the background of game day? <laughs> well, either that or they go in an entirely different place to see if they can kind of eat into some market share or if it's the other way around, if Fox says – Hey, we're going to OU Texas. That game's on our network. And, and I also will be interested to see if Fox goes with a strategy of ESPN's just a shill for the SEC and the ACC. You want to watch a, a network that focuses on your conference? Watch us. Well, I could be wrong about this, Fox but how Sports, does, we report, does, you decide. Does game day does game day <laughs> does game day go to games that they don't take? Absolutely. They do CBS yeah. games all the time. I guess yeah, that's true. Were, I, I never thought about, about it. I guess, State, yeah. Auburn, and Ole Miss, Alabama. No I was just asking because nothing came to mind. I didn't yeah, – yeah, that makes sense. I just, I never think of them, like, going somewhere in the Fox game on, like the big SEC game. Well, sense. Michigan-Ohio State last year. Yeah. They did Michigan-Ohio State. That was a Fox game. That will be interesting to see how they combat that. Yeah. Did you have ESPN go into that game that – yeah. And would Fox ever branch out and say, look, we're not going to stick to a game that's just on our network – we're going to go to the, the to an SEC game. Now, would an SEC campus allow that to happen? That might be a different story. If they're smart, they would. Can you imagine Urban like you Meyer said, live they, on an SEC If they campus go to Michigan, Ohio State, what would stop Fox from going to the Iron Bowl? Um, well, if it's an on-campus thing, Alabama or Auburn saying, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Fox, you're that's, not that's actually welcome thing, yeah. on our campus. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.